Hey, good evening, everybody. Let's stand up together. We'll start off with lifting our voices in praise. Let's crown him. Crown him with many crowns, a lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. Thy matchless King through all eternity. Crown him, Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save his glories now we sing who died and rose on high who died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die good to have you joining with us either here in person or online. We have been exclusively online uh, for the last seven months on Wednesday evening and it's uh, a good sight to see some people in the room as well uh, but we know that we're not uh, completely out of our caution zone so we're going to have people uh, watching with us online for probably a good while and we certainly understand that and are glad that you're with us and we're going to be careful as we move forward uh, otherwise with a similar approach as what we have on Sunday mornings and if you want to join us in the weeks to come 
there will be uh, space in the room, I'm sure, uh, for you to distance from other people if that uh, is better for you. And um, I'm just thankful to the Lord to be able to be moving forward at least a little bit, even if it's baby steps, as we continue to pray uh, for all who are affected and uh, for things that are problematic right now. So I want to pray, and then I want to reintroduce our study uh, from the book of Hosea and uh, get some context there about where we've been and where we're going and uh, go from there. Let me pray with us. Father, thank you tonight for the privilege that we have to gather and worship uh, both in song and prayer uh, and then also in your word. And uh, we are thankful for uh, your sustaining grace through these months and uh, it continues to be a challenge and could easily be discouraging for us. But we're reminded through it all that you are faithful and that you sustain us no matter what it is that we're dealing with. And I'm thankful for every person that uh, is here uh, this evening in the building, uh, for those that are watching online and others who will be listening a little bit later maybe uh, to the message. And Lord, uh, we pray for those that are sick and even some that uh, we know or maybe work with or acquainted with that are uh, dealing with the current uh, situation. And uh, we pray for health and for strength and uh, just for encouragement for everybody that is having to deal with uh, various aspects of it, uh, whether it be their own health or uh, disruption of work and other things that are going on because of uh, this situation we're in. And uh, Father, watch over and uh, bless us and teach us tonight as we look at your word in Hosea and remind us of your faithfulness and your love uh, and the redemption that we have in Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen. We are studying in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. Tonight we come to chapter 3. And I think what I want to do uh, from tonight forward, uh, since there's a lot of repetition and really some themes that arise over and over after chapter 3 all the way through the end of the book, is I want to take those themes and really preach those themes and teach those themes in our time together. We're going to look tonight at all of chapter 3, but then from chapter 4 on with these themes that are coming up again and again, um, I want to focus on those in the weeks to come, so uh, stay tuned for that. Tonight's message is entitled, An Unlikely Restoration, and we are studying the autobiographical account of Hosea, whose name means uh, salvation. It really serves for us as a case study of what rebellion looks like against God, uh, God's relentless love in the midst of that rebellion, and then the call to repent. Uh, Hosea's ministry covers about a 40-year time frame, and the messages were directed mostly toward the northern kingdom of Israel, dealing with the circumstances of idolatry and spiritual failure and moral corruption and all kinds of trouble because of uh, their hearts that weren't right before the Lord. And as I introduced the book, I told you that it's uh, structured around cycles of judgment and restoration. God's judgment on sin promises to bring the people back to himself, their repentance, and then restoration that comes from God. And I think one of the most beautiful things about Hosea is that even against the dark backdrop of idolatry and sin and the message of judgment, there's the love of God that continually shines through. And it reminds us of just how patient God is with us and how he relates to us 
as his people, bringing us along, loving us with a love that is a relentless love. Now, as I introduced the book, I told you that there is a marriage in view, uh, and the marriage is between Hosea and Gomer. Uh, that signifies the relationship that God has with his people. There's also a message in that God is offended by unfaithfulness. He's offended uh, by rebellion against him. And then there's a Messiah. The hope in the middle of all of this is that God promised that he was going to make a covenant with his people. And that covenant with his people would be through Christ, the promised Messiah, who would bring righteousness and mercy and faithfulness. And all of that would eventually be accomplished in him. Now, the people rebelled against God, and even the names of the children of uh, Hosea here represent that rebellion. Very curious names, uh, symbolizing a place that was at once a place of victory, but later became a place of defeat. Uh, a name meaning literally no compassion. How would you like that to be your name? And then also a name meaning not my people. And we saw last week that rebellion is an outright choice. It's a decision to do something other than obey the one true living God. And in the midst of that, God rebuked his people. Uh, Hosea spoke of his wife, Gomer, representing the words of God to his faithful wife, Israel. And she had played the harlot and had acted shamefully. And God had to intervene because of that. Now, in all of this, God pointed toward the restoration of his people. And as we saw toward the end of chapter 2 in Hosea, God sung a song of love, essentially, to his unfaithful wife. And the wife of Hosea could have literally been stoned as judgment under the law, but God instead commanded him to love her with a love that didn't make sense from a human perspective. And when we think about it, in reality, the love of God does not make sense uh, from a human perspective, but yet God draws us tenderly. He draws us with hope, and he draws us with a promise of renewal, and he calls us to a life that is a life of purity and holiness before him. So I want to pick up reading in Hosea chapter 3. We're going to read these five short verses, and then I will share some truths with you about them. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, uh, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver, and one and a half omers of barley. And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So the Bible does what uh, is often done in this genre of prophecy. It speaks to an immediate circumstance that I believe was a literal situation, 
but then it speaks of what's going to happen as a result of that symbolically both in the near future and potentially in the future as well and through the work of the messiah and what we find first here is that god pursues his people god is the one who is the ultimate pursuer of his people now to understand the depth of hosea's love we need to understand something about his wife's life she appears first in chapter 1 and verse 2 the scripture refers to her literally as a wife of harlotry now i think that she was likely raised in the context of idolatry and rebellion i think she probably followed after what had been modeled for her sort of a family of origin circumstance i don't have any proof for that but i think that that is a very likely circumstance and her lifestyle is a very direct reminder of the trouble that is produced in every life every human life by the issue of sin and we know that a lifestyle of unrepentant sin can be pleasurable for a while but it always leads to ruin devastation destruction and ultimately death it's often physical death because of the problems that it brings but it certainly brings spiritual death sin always leaves its mark and it will eventually lead to hell if there's not restoration that comes from god so to put it even more plainly nobody ever gets away with sin there is always a price to pay the bible says in galatians 6 and verse 7 do not be deceived god is not to be mocked whatever a man sows he will reap in return so there is either going to be repentance and restoration or there's going to be continuing in sin with consequences now the situation here is that gomer violated her marriage vows and her actions are a picture as i've said of the spiritual condition of israel remember they lusted after the gods of the canaanites they abandoned the god of their fathers they got wrapped up in idolatry and chased after false gods when in fact they had been taught from the very outset when they were raised up as a nation and called out as a people that there was only one true living god and he alone was to get their allegiance and their devotion and the wife here is a picture of a lost sinner just like gomer all of us are lost in our sins and pursuing our own lust and caring nothing for god until he pursues us and brings us to a relationship with himself until we come into contact with that conviction for our sins when we're confronted with the idea that there's a truth that uh, there's a way out that there's light that will take us out of the darkness we're all in that same circumstance but in spite of how she lived her life in spite of how far down she had gone remarkably hosea still loves her and the lord said to him in go again and love a woman who is loved by a lover she's committing adultery she's guilty of harlotry just like the love of the lord for the children of israel now i find it interesting here that when hosea 
received this unusual and what seems like to us a very difficult command. He doesn't appear to have hesitated. He doesn't appear to have questioned God in the circumstance. He doesn't appear to have balked at doing what God told him to do. He went and did exactly what God told him to do. Now, why did he go after his wife who had strayed so far? Very simply because he loved her. That's why he went. He loved her before she fell into sin. He loved her when she was in sin. And he loved her in spite of her sin. And his love is so great and so profound that he was willing to do whatever it took in order to bring her back to himself. Now, this is a strong illustration of the love of God for sinners. God loved us before we were even born. God loved you before you were even saved. God loves you when you are saved, and he will love you eternally. There is nothing that can stop the pursuing love of God in our lives. There's an illustration uh, of God as the great pursuer that comes from Francis Thompson, a 19th century British poet who wrote uh, the well-known Hound of Heaven piece. Although Thompson was a follower of Christ, he reportedly struggled with poverty and poor health and even an addiction to opium that was sold over the counter at that point in time. And it was in the depths of his despair that Thompson described his flight from God. And here's what he said. I fled from him down the nights and down the days. I hid from him and under running laughter, I sped from those strong feet that followed, followed after me. But Thompson also knew the unrelenting love of Jesus. He knew the hound of heaven. And in the poem, he pers Jesus pursues Thompson with what is described as an unhurrying chase, an unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, and majestic urgency. He hears the feet of Jesus beating after him as Jesus calls, all things betray those who betray me. Later on in the 20th century, in a biography of John Stott, uh, he actually refers to Thompson's poem. And according to Stott, he owes his faith in Christ, he owed his faith in Christ because he's now with the Lord, not to his parents or his teachers or even to his own decision, but he owed his faith in Christ to none other than Jesus himself. And Stott referred to Jesus as the hound of heaven. And he said this, he said, my faith is due to Jesus Christ himself who pursued me relentlessly even when I was running away from him in order to go my own way. And if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. Now I think that we would have the same testimony, but for the grace of God, our lives could be written about just as the lives of Hosea and Gomer were written about. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. There are two words there, a great love, which mean a surpassing love. So when we think about the love of God, it is a love that is without boundaries. Uh, it is unconditional for his children. It is timeless. It is sacrificial. And it is beyond words. This is the love of God that has been perfected in us in Christ Jesus. God pursues his people. And then second, we see that God redeems his people. Now, this is one of the most difficult passages, hands down, in all the Bible. For us to understand and get a grasp of, not only just to see the symbolism of it, but to really feel the pain of what's going on in this relationship. When Hosea finds Gomer, it appears that she has been sold into slavery. It is likely that she has been sold into slavery, even as a prostitute. You think about how far she had fallen. She is a far cry at this point from the woman that she was when Hosea fell in love with her. She's been down that path of harlotry. She's been down that path of sin. And the woman that he knew before is no longer the same woman. What an awful scene. Hosea searches for his wife. He eventually finds her. Where does he find her? In a slave market. She is for sale to the highest bidder. And he sees her and he does not loathe her. He does not hate her. He does not turn away from her. He does not abandon her. And uh, you have to think that his heart was absolutely broken over the situation and the condition that she was in, but he did what he had to do. And verse 2 says that he bought her for himself with the shekels that he had, as well as some barley that he made up the difference with. The redemption cost him his money and his pride. He was willing to cover the entire cost to redeem her from the situation that she was in and to free her. And what a beautiful picture this is of what God has done for the lost. Because before we come to Christ, we are slaves to sin. We are hopeless. We have no way out. And it's only when God intervenes that we can be delivered. But you know, one of the things that is very uh, dangerous, I think, for people who are caught in their own sins is that there's almost a comfort level with their circumstance, and the devil uses that to blind them of their need to be redeemed, blinds them of their need for the gospel. There's an illustration from the film Shawshank Redemption, and Ellis Boyd Red Redding, uh, Morgan Freeman, uh, tells the story of Andy, Tim Robbins, a young and successful banker wrongly convicted of murdering his wife in the 1940s and sentenced to two consecutive life terms at Shawshank Prison. Halfway through the film, an old con, Brooks Hadlin, becomes in, enraged and threatens to take another inmate's life 
holding a makeshift knife, a shank of sorts, at the inmate's throat. A few tense moments later, Red and Andy persuade Brooks to lay down his knife. And that's when they discover that Hadlin had just received word that his parole was finally approved. The mere thought of freedom outside the prison walls was enough in that moment to send him over the edge. Later on, discussing it in the prison yard, an inmate concluded that Brooks had bugged out. He had gone mad, and Red quickly disagreed, and he said, Brooks ain't no bug. He's just institutionalized. The man's been here 50 years. This is all he knows, and here he's an important man. He's an educated man. Outside, he's nothing. He's just a used-up con with arthritis in both his hands. Probably couldn't get a library card if he tried. You know what I'm trying to say? He said, you believe whatever you want, but I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First, you hate them. Then you get used to them. Enough time passes, and you start to depend on them. That's institutionalized. You see, like prison walls, sin gives fallen people a false sense of security. They are somebody in the circumstance that they're in. They don't know the freedom that Jesus Christ brings. They can't imagine what life would be like outside of their bondage. All the while, God is there, and he's ready to set them free in Christ. And you see, that's what Jesus came for. He came to set people free. It cost him his life. He shed his blood on the cross. He purchased a people unto himself. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 17 and following. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish or without spot. You know what Christ did for us? He suffered pain, shame, public humiliation, even separation to redeem his people from their sins. I was reading just this morning in Isaiah 53 in my daily Bible reading and, and thinking about the gravity of what he was willing to do for us and the prophecy of the suffering Messiah, the suffering servant. It talks there about him being despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was willing to do all of that for us. He was willing to be mistreated by Roman soldiers, to be ridiculed by Jewish leaders, and he endured it. Why? To redeem us from sin. Now look again here in verse 3 of Hosea chapter 3. Hosea said to Gomer, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. She was already his wife, but yet he was willing to pay to sacrifice what he had to bring her home. Her name roughly means in the original language, completely, meaning that she had been completely lost in her sins but that she was completely loved and forgiven and redeemed by grace. And so it is for us when God redeems a people. He redeems us that we might belong to him. He, Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us, as Titus says, 
from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. And when God redeems us, he redeems us for this reason, that we might have a relationship with him. After all, that's what we were separated from initially. That's what sin does to begin with. It, it drives the wedge. It, it pushes us far from God. And listen, there are people all around us who are, who are far from God, and what they need is to be brought back near to God. And the only way that can happen is through the hope of the gospel. So when you consider how much God loves you and the price that he paid for you, it should bring you to a place where you bow before him with love and gratitude. And that brings me to this point. God has a purpose for his people. Hosea loved his wife. As broken as she was, so he obeyed the command of God. He loved her and wanted to set her free. And he set her free because he had a purpose for her life, to make a difference in her life. You see, when God saves you, he saves you and because he loves you, he delivers you because he has a purpose. And you see, God's purpose in this circumstance was that this woman would not play the harlot, but that she would be the wife. And every soul that Jesus redeems, he makes that soul into a new person. And that's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You cannot know Jesus and not be changed. Now, Hosea expected his wife to live a life of purity. She had been the object of lust. She had been used. She had been abused. And Hosea was going to bring her home to heal because he cherished her and he wanted to honor her. The redemption of this woman was so that her life would be different and have a purpose when god saves us it's so that our lives will be different and so that we will have a purpose to live for god so i say to you in this study this evening don't ever take lightly what god has done for you don't ever presume upon the grace of god don't ever forget what it was like to be lost and to be saved. And when you don't take it lightly and you don't presume upon the grace of God and you don't forget what it was like to be lost and what it meant to be saved, then you can honor God by how you live. And this should be in the heart of every child of God, a desire to please Him and honor Him. There's a man by the name of Christopher Parkening, he was considered to be one of the world's greatest classical guitarists, and he achieved his musical dreams by the age of 30. He reportedly holds the chair of classical guitar at Pepperdine University and has the title of Distinguished Professor of Music. He was also, by the age of 30, a world-class fly-fishing champion. However, his success failed to bring him happiness. Weary of performances and recording sessions, Parkinson bought himself a ranch and gave up on the guitar. But rather than finding happiness after getting away from it all, his life became increasingly empty. He wrote, If you arrive at a point in your life 
where you have everything that you've ever wanted and thought that would make you happy, and it still doesn't. Then you start questioning things. It's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I had that, and I thought, well, what's left? While visiting friends, he attended church, and he put his faith in Christ. Parking, he developed a hunger for Scripture, and he was struck by 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. He explains, I realized there were only two things I knew how to do, fly fish for trout and play the guitar. Well, I'm playing the guitar today absolutely by the grace of God. And I have a joy, a peace, and a deep-down fulfillment in my life that I never had before. My life has purpose. I've learned firsthand the true secret of genuine happiness. Have you learned the true secret of genuine happiness? You might look at everything that you've got and think, how could I not be satisfied? How can I not have contentment? How can I not find peace and happiness in the midst of all of this? I have so much more than most anybody else has. How could that not bring me to a place of peace in my life? Well, if you're living apart from Christ, you're not going to find it. He, he's the only way. And when you think about where you were because of your sins and where you were headed and what God has done for you, it is absolutely transformational. It changes your whole world, and it also changes your entire future. So I ask you this question as I come toward a close in the study tonight. Has God restored your life? I'm asking it whether you're in the room or you're watching or listening online or maybe listening to the message later on. Has God restored your life? Are you in that place where you know what genuine peace really is with God? If not, the way to have that is by turning from your sins and turning to the Savior. Jesus Christ lived and died and now lives again, and he invites you to come and follow him. And he will restore your life. And if you found that place of peace and restoration through the cross and the resurrection, are you living like it? Could you say now in this moment, believer, I am satisfied in my life with God. If you can't say that, it's not because anything God's done for you is lacking. And He's inviting you to lean in even closer. And He'll help you find it. And in it, He will give you the direction that you need and the purpose that you need in your life. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father, I am uh, amazed and uh, transparently a little bit taken aback when I read Hosea's story. It is one of the most challenging sections of Scripture that you've given us in your Word. But it's there for a reason, and I think the reason that it's there, Father, is because our situation is no less shocking apart from Christ. Sometimes we dress it up and we like to think of ourselves as better than what we truly are or were. 
And we're brought to this stark reminder of just how ugly sin and separation really is. So thank you for this beautiful picture of your patience, your love, your relentless pursuit of your people. Were it not for the grace that you've given to us, none of us could stand. So as we reflect on that and even meditate on the depths of this forgiveness that we have in Christ, I pray we wouldn't take it for granted, but that our joy and who we are in you and our understanding of the hope that you've given us would be greater than it's ever been. And when we see other people that are still caught up in their sins and their circumstances, that we'd not look at them with some type of judgmental attitude or a critical spirit but we would be reminded that we came from the same place and yet you've brought us to a new place and help us to remind people and to be a faithful witness as we live our lives bless the remainder of this week lord as we live it for you we pray that you'd be honored and glorified through it and i ask it in the name of jesus our savior amen